truly believe that Acts literally is the interpretation of it's the interpretation of the apostles, the disciples of what the Great Commission was. And so we read, so let's let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and it says this. Um, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. That's what it says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We've seen that many, many times. And here at the beginning of Acts, every gospel ends with some sort of great commission. But the irony is that Acts begins with the great commission. When Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's ironic because as Luke writes this to Theophilus, he says, in my previous volume, Theophilus, I told you all the things that Jesus began to do. In other words, Acts is the extension of what Jesus was still doing. Okay? And yet, in verse 8, Jesus gives the commission and then he's gone. And what we have been looking at is the early church. And the early church is the expression of all that Jesus is doing in the world. And so what we have seen so far in, in these chapters that we have looked at is that we looked at Pentecost in chapter 2. And we see that the Holy Spirit comes down and tongues of fire are on, on the disciples. And they begin to proclaim exactly as Jesus had told them that they would in Jerusalem. And they stay in Jerusalem. And we see the trouble that Peter and John get into in, in uh, Acts chapter 3 and 4 and 5 as they're brought to the Sanhedrin again and again. And they're told not to proclaim in the name of Jesus. And then we go to Acts chapter 8 and we see Philip who is going off to Samaria and talking to Samaritans about Jesus. And they're coming to know Christ. And as they're coming to know Christ, John and Peter go and also take that ministry over. And we see the gospel now being proclaimed in Judea and Samaria as well. As we're spreading out from there. Last week... Pastor Mark talked about Cornelius. And so as he spoke to Cornelius, what are we doing? We're starting to reach out from beyond the Jewish realm of people, right? Now we're not just talking about Jews. Now we're talking about Gentile believers. These were believers in God who were uncircumcised, who believed in God and the Holy Spirit came upon them to show that God accepted them by faith. And so we're starting to see this spreading out that's happening. In the midst of that, we have seen that Saul had been persecuting the church. And as a result, with the exception of the leaders in Jerusalem, the church had been scattered. And as they were scattered, they were telling others outside of Jerusalem, outside of Samaria, outside of Judea about Jesus. To the point that Jesus now commissions Saul, who's now called Paul, to share the gospel to the Gentiles. 
and he's preparing him to do so. And so we see the persecution start ramping up in Jerusalem. We see the death of James. We see Peter who's been imprisoned and then goes away. And now we're starting to see the disciples, the apostles who had stayed in that initial persecution starting to scatter as well. And Paul finds himself in a different place, up in Antioch. And while he is up in Antioch and and, uh, the church is growing, they set aside him and Barnabas to go out and start proclaiming the gospel to the uttermost reaches of the world. And they go on this first missionary journey. And they come back. And after they come back, there's a council at Jerusalem. And this council at Jerusalem starts to say, wait a second, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles that are coming into the kingdom of God? Are they going to become Jews? What's going to happen with them? We don't know exactly what's going to go on. And so there's this huge conference in Acts chapter 15 concerning uh, what are we going to do with the Gentiles? What's going to happen? And the testimony of Peter is given again as he proclaims that God accepted them as they were, Paul goes there and talks about how God is accepting the Gentile believers that they had preached to in his first missionary journey. And the believers who are there come to the conclusion we should not put a regulation upon the Gentiles who are coming to God, who are coming to Christ, that neither we nor our fathers could keep in the first place. Because the whole purpose of the law is to show us how we fall short. And that how Jesus has bridged that gap. And so they give four instructions. Not to eat food sacrificed to idols. Not of blood or of meat of strangled animals or sexual immorality. And all of those were used in idol worship. In worshiping of other gods. And basically saying we don't want you worshiping other gods. Is what it comes down to. We want you worshiping the one true God who sent his son into the world to die on the cross for your sins, for my sins, and to follow him wholeheartedly. And this is what is passed out into the rest of the, of the people who are, who are there. And this is the way in which Christians are going to convey that Jewish believers are going to keep the law, but understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And Christian believers are going to understand that Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews, but the Savior of all mankind. And this is how they move forward. After that, we see that Paul and Barnabas want to go back to encourage the churches that they've done before. Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them. Paul is less enthusiastic about that because John Mark had abandoned them in Pamphylia. And so there's this huge, there's this huge argument between them to the point that they're like, Barnabas is going to take John Mark and going to go over here. And Paul, you're going to take Silas and you're going to go someplace else. And while they go someplace else, they run into a young man named Timothy. Kind of takes John Mark's place as a young uh, person to, to be a part of conveying the gospel to the Jewish people who are there. And so they go on this missionary journey. And, and we begin to see him reaching different places. And as he goes, he goes there, he proclaims first to the synagogue or to the Jewish people who are in that area if there is no synagogue. Uh, 
And then he proclaims to the Gentile. And we start seeing the church begin to grow in different areas. And he finds his way into Greece. And he finds his way down to Athens. And he finds his way into Corinth. And what we see in Corinth and in Ephesus is we begin to see success in ministry that we hadn't seen before. And we're going to be talking about that that moment of change in Corinth. That's where our sermon is going to be at today. Uh, but we do see this, this movement of more success and more acceptance of the gospel message in places like Corinth and Ephesus. And so we see the gospel begin to grow anew. But through all of this, I, I just want to remind you, this is the working out of the Great Commission according to how the apostles interpreted what was going on. What was at the end of the Gospels is at the beginning of Acts, and this is what we're seeing. They're working it out. There are lessons there for us, and I think there are a lot of lessons today as we look in the Scripture, especially as we see Paul's mode of ministry as he went to all of these different places and the things that happened there, what you and I can learn about those things. So if you will, turning your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Mark has a promise that every single time you, you guys come together, he's going to read through an entire chapter of Scripture. I'm not there today. We're not doing that. So I'm sorry. It's a little bit of a letdown and disappointment. We're not looking at as many verses. But there's so many things in these few verses that are here that I think is important that we hone in on them to understand the implications to our life, the implications to discipleship as it, as it, as it pertains to believers in Christ. Because that great commission is not just for the disciples. That great commission is for every disciple. And a disciple is just a follower of Jesus. So if you are a follower of Jesus, what the disciples were commissioned to at the end of the Gospels, what the disciples saw themselves as commissioned to at the beginning of Acts, is what you and I are commissioned to as well. Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them. And because he was a tent maker as they were, they stayed and worked with him. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogues, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. All right, so first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is we start to see what, what Paul did every place he went. If they had a synagogue, he went to the synagogue. If they didn't have a synagogue, which you needed ten men to make a synagogue. Otherwise, there would be agreed upon area in which they would meet, uh, oftentimes by a body of water, okay? And so that's why you see when he goes to other places, when he met with Lydia and he met with other people, that was by the river. That was the agreed upon place of where the Jews were going to meet, okay? So he would always go to the Jews first because Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, 
And he finds himself in the synagogues, and he says he reasoned with them. He talked with them according to the Scriptures concerning these things. And he didn't talk just to the Jews. He talked to the Greeks. So there were Jews and Greeks in this synagogue. Greeks who were checking out the Jewish religion, trying to figure out what this, what this was. What is it that you guys believe? And so we have Jews and Greeks together, and Paul is presenting his case for Christ among them both. And when his when his other people came from where they were ministering, where he could just focus totally on preaching and teaching, that's what he did. And the lesson for you and me is this. You and I need to know the scriptures well enough to tell other people about Jesus. Very simple, right? You guys have to know the scriptures well enough so that you can reason with other people about Jesus. Period. Remember, this isn't, this isn't a, this was the Apostle Paul type of thing to do. We are all called to make disciples, every single one of us. You cannot do it if you don't know the Scriptures. You cannot do it if you not, cannot tell people about Jesus. You cannot do it if you can't reason with them in such a way to say why we understand Jesus is the Christ. I love all of you guys. Coming to church on Sunday is awesome. We're commanded to do it. But if all you get is the tutelage from me and Mark on a weekly basis, we tell you this often, it's not enough. It's not enough. You have to know it. You have to exercise it. You have to be able to tell other people about Jesus. You need to have confidence in your faith. How many of you, and no raising of hands here, this is a rhetorical question, but how many of you are actively growing in your faith, not just in reading the scriptures to understand Jesus better, but other books that are going to encourage your faith to give you confidence that our faith is founded well in history, in archaeology, in, in understanding how the human psyche works as it pertains to faith can you give reason for other people for the hope that you have within you with gentleness and respect as it says in first peter chapter 3 and verse 15 can you give them real reasons why you believe jesus is who he said he is can you refute all the arguments that are out there that try to either say that jesus didn't exist or jesus was just a good teacher and jesus wasn't the son of god if you don't know where to begin concerning this, I'm, you're in luck. Today I'm going to give you some resources. These aren't resources for me. You know why? I've read these books. And I'll probably read them again. Some of them are very hefty in nature. Because you should know your faith well. Good book would be by Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell has some amazing books that are out there. I'm going to give you a couple of them. One of them is Evidence for Christianity. Lots of historical details. It's 700 pages and it's not a lightweight book. You're like, dang, I didn't know I was going to get that. Yeah, because you need to know this. You need to know your faith. He has a more massive book that's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict that I would also encourage you to get one or the other. 
They're books that you can open up and read. You don't have to open up to, you know, read it from beginning to end. You can say, oh, this section interests me. I'm going to open it up and read it like that. That's how those books are constructed. But they talk about the reliability of of the Bible, the reliability of the early witnesses to Christ, how we can historically understand who Jesus is, and that we have really good reason to believe Jesus is who he says he is. A lighter reading would be that of Lee Strobel in the case for Christ. Really good stuff there. As you take a journey with somebody else who did investigative reporting to try and find out, is Jesus really who he said he is? Guys, you and I need to know that. An even lighter book for the very first time person who's trying to figure out about this would be another book by Josh McDowell called More Than a Carpenter. Those of you who have kids who are at home, junior high, or high school, would be a great book for them to, to read for as a primer, as a beginning of understanding faith and the reasons why we have confidence in our faith. But you and I as believers first have to know how to convey our faith to other people. Can you take the scriptures and talk to others about Jesus? See, what Paul's doing in the, in the synagogues is going through the Old Testament and proving that Jesus is the Christ. The reason we spend so much time reading the Bible and we've camped out a whole lot in the Old Testament, three quarters of your Bible is the Old Testament. That was the Bible of the early church before the letters were written, before Acts was written. The Bible was the Old Testament scriptures because Jesus is found in the Old Testament. When we see Jesus on the road to Emmaus, we see him talking about everything fulfilled from the Old Testament. And starting with Moses, he walks those two disciples through a history lesson I would have loved to have been a part of. I really would have. But it's there. And you and I, as disciples of Jesus Christ, just like Paul, are called to make disciples. And the only way you and I can do that is to know the Word of God, to know the evidences of our faith, so that we can reason together with others. You have to. And there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut. You have to learn those things. Pastor Mark, myself, you know what we would relish? We would relish people coming to our office and saying, do you have another resource for this? I'd love to tell somebody about Jesus, but I don't know exactly how to do that. Do you have a resource for that? I already know we do. Because I got books that I've recommended to all types of people. Pastor Mark has books he's recommended to all types of people. You know why? Because we've had to study ourselves to know how to do it. And we want you to do the same. But the first thing is this. You've got to know the word. You've got to know the word. There's no shortcut. I can't say that enough. I don't want to say that. I, I don't want to say that I've ever said that enough. Because there's no shortcut. You have to know it. God's giving you that commission. So that's the first thing. Verse 6. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, 
He shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. See, the other thing that you're going to see is, is if you have read with me, Paul's mode of operation as he went to each of these cities, he goes to the synagogue. At first, they receive him well, and they're like, ooh, there's a Messiah, and Jesus is that Messiah. That sounds so good. And then the Gentiles or the Greeks who began to listen to that, and they're like, I want to follow that Jesus too. Start following Jesus, and the Jews get jealous, and they're like, wait a second. No, this is supposed to be only like a Jewish Messiah thing. It shouldn't be like an everybody Messiah thing. So, uh, Paul, you you need to stop saying that so that they're coming to Jesus. And we start seeing persecution happen with Paul. In some places, he's stoned. He's drug outside the city and stoned, and they thought he was dead at one point. And another place, they put him in jail. They cause all types of troubles. He goes to Thessalonica. He preaches to them there. He gets chased out of the city. He goes to Berea. People start listening to him in Berea. The Jews up in Thessalonica get wind that he's in Berea, and they're like, let's go cause trouble for him in Berea. We don't like what we're hearing. We don't like a Jesus for everybody. We only want a Jesus for us. And because his message wasn't accepted, because he was a witness to God for God, to the Jews and the Gentiles in that area, he says this, your blood's on your own head. I've done my responsibility. I've shared the gospel with you. I'll take it to the Gentiles now. In other places, he says, because you don't, seem, because you don't deem yourself worthy for life, I shall go to the Gentiles. This doesn't set well with our 21st century American sensibilities concerning outreach. It just doesn't. We are told in our mindset we have come to believe as American Christians who have cultivated a world in a world of tolerance that if we go crossways with anybody concerning our beliefs, we've done something wrong. If we were to look at Paul as we look throughout Acts right here, and we were to look in modern day megachurch idealistic evangelism sessions, they would look at Paul saying he really needs a 12-week course on how to relate to people better. Would he not? I mean, seriously, he's already been imprisoned. He's already been dragged out of, the, out of uh, a city to be stoned to death. People don't want him around. You know, Paul, if you're just a little bit more tolerant, if you wouldn't argue so much with other people, if they could see you as their friend, you would win more people for Jesus. Is that really the the take we're going to put on that? People of God, I'm asking you, we're reading the scriptures right now. This is what he's found. Every place he goes, we see the same with Peter. We saw the same with James, that he was put to death already, right? We see it with John. Don't preach in this name anymore. Every place they're being, they're going to spread the message of Christ, there is opposition to this message, and not friendly opposition, not just a little bit of opposition. It's not one of those you do you type of things. 
Because we don't want you doing you. As a matter of fact, we don't want you telling anybody about Jesus. We think that this message is offensive. And there's confrontation, even on Paul's end of thing, where he says, since you don't deem yourself worthy of life, I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm clear of my responsibility. I'm shaking off my feet. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. That's offensive. And yet we have been told in our country, we have been told even in Christian circles, that if we offend somebody, that somehow we have sinned in giving out the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't find it in the scripture anywhere. Have you found it there? You guys are reading the same scriptures I am. I don't see it there. And yet, how many times have you shared with somebody, and guess what? They didn't receive it well. And they, you got in an argument, and you're at the Thanksgiving table, because we just had Thanksgiving, and that's not, a tense, that's not an untense time at all around family members with different, divergent beliefs, is it? And you sit down, and you talk about Jesus, and it, and it brings up this I don't know, this tension around the table that you can cut with a knife that you should be cutting the turkey with or the duck in my case. And if you were to breach that tension by by approaching the uncomfortable subject about Christ and you get into a blowout argument with them, the next thing we're doing as Christians Because of our 21st century sensibilities in a tolerant age. Oh Jesus, I'm so sorry. I didn't share you right with somebody else. I was trying to be salt and light, but I wasn't very good. Where do you get that? Where have we become such passive people of Christianity that any type of confrontation concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ is somehow a failure on our part because of the confrontation. So we just want to get along with everybody. And trust me, I want to get along with everybody too. This isn't saying let's go out and pick fights with everybody, okay? Nobody's saying, hey, what did you learn at church today? My pastor said, I need to fight you. I did not say that, okay? Nobody needs to leave today with that idea. We need to do that. But what we do need to get out of our heads is this idea that if I shared Jesus and it wasn't received well, somehow I did something wrong. I'll be the first to admit, I've had that feeling before. How many of you have had that feeling before? Raise your hand. I've shared. We got into an argument and I did something wrong. That's not in the scripture. That's not the word of God. The word of God says, guess what? In this world, you're going to have what? Trouble. trouble. Well, trouble, I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, trouble isn't a lot of fun to get around, is it? But take heart because I've overcome the world. That's what we're told by Jesus, right? This is what Paul is living. And it's a hard thing to do. I don't like getting into arguments. But I have seen people who I have loved in my life come to know Jesus Christ because I was willing to get into those arguments. And I'll be honest with you. I shy away from them just like you do. Because I have been trained by the culture that we live in rather than taking an example from the scripture concerning this is how we change the world for Jesus. 
This is how the disciples did it. They proclaimed Christ. And when problems came up, they said, determine for yourself if it's better if we should obey God or man. I don't think they like the trouble either. I really don't. If you ask Paul, was it fun being stoned? I'm pretty sure. And it's not, guys, just for context. This isn't a drug reference, okay? Being stoned to death means they took actual stones, flung them at their heads for the purpose of killing them, okay? But if you ask them if it was fun being beaten, if it was fun being stoned, if it was fun being put in jail, they're not going to say, yeah, that's what I was, I was planning on doing. I was, you know, I was thinking I was going to go over to a friend's house and play board games, but we decided, you know what, jail time seemed much better for us. You know, I say it like that, it sounds ridiculous, right? It does. But their confidence wasn't in what they were being punished for by the world's standards. Their confidence was in the one whom they were proclaiming life to the world around them that needed it so badly that it was worth any cost on their part. Are you willing to get into an argument with your father? with your mother, with your son or daughter, with your close friends, with your co-workers, and be uncomfortable and a little bit bold for the sake of Jesus. Because there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And if you truly believe that, you'll get into arguments. You just will. You're going to when you're proclaiming the word of life. And when you get into them, you're not wrong. Could we all learn to do it better? Absolutely. That's why we need to be studying the word. That goes back to point number one, right? Do I need to do it better? But if I don't do it perfectly, did I sin? Really? Is that where we're going to go with that? Because I don't see any uh, condemnation for the way in which Peter or John or James or Paul are sharing the gospel of Christ. Have you? You're reading the same acts that I am. We need to get over ourselves concerning the idea that just because we got into an argument with somebody, we did not do things God's way. Because we are promised we're going to get into those arguments. It's going to happen. Verse 7. And then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. And so here we have the breakthrough, right? 
Here is the first place, if you read what has happened up until Corinth, what happens is Paul goes into a place. He's there about three, maybe four weeks as he's talking to the Jews. The Gentiles come. They don't like it. They get persecuted. Within six weeks, he's gone from that area because he's been chased out by sharing Christ. Over and over and over again, that has been the pattern until we get right here to Corinth. This is the first place. He's probably been a Christian here for over 10 years, sharing Christ in one missionary journey, going off on another missionary journey. And he hasn't had bold success every place. Just a few converts here, a few converts there, in all of these small, struggling churches made up of a handful of people who have accepted Christ. That's it. That's all he has. Read the text until he gets to Corinth. And he shares boldly. And guess who, guess who strengthens him? Jesus comes to him and says, keep doing what you're doing. Doesn't say you're doing a bad job. Doesn't say, hey, you should have shared a little bit differently. He says, no, you keep speaking. You keep doing what you're doing because I've got a lot of people in this city and nobody's going to harm you. And with that boldness, Paul's able to stay for a year and a half to be able to share God's word. He's going to get in trouble again at the end of this year and a half. Right? They're going to try and make trouble for him again. See, I can't tell how many people you and I are going to have an opportunity to lead for Christ? I don't. That's up to God. As a matter of fact, Paul would say the same thing when he talked to the Corinthian people when they were kind of confused and they were thinking about four different factions. He was trying to get them back to following Jesus. He said, look, I'm Paul. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It's all up to God. I have no idea. Some of you might be able to lead 20, 30, 40, 80 people to Jesus. You have an incredible ministry that God's going to lay before you for doing that. Some of you will struggle your whole life trying to reach out to other people. You might get four. I don't know what God has planned for you individually. I just don't. But I'm going to tell you something, what I truly and wholeheartedly believe. I believe in 2020, in America right now, it's harder to share our faith than it ever has been. I think many of you would agree, right? And I think it's these hard times, just like Paul had these hard times before Corinth, that helped prepare him for the times that he was going to have when he started to have success. When God began to open the floodgates and open the doors for him to be able to do. You know why? Because he's testing his faithfulness and his perseverance. You and I, little bit of little bit of pushback, we shut down. We stop sharing. Little bit of I don't I don't like the fight. I don't like the fight either. But if you and I stop sharing in the midst of the fight, how are we going to ever win anybody for Jesus? How are we going to allow God to open those floodgates if we're ready to shut our mouth when there's just a little bit of pushback or persecution or whatnot? And don't tell me that you don't stand firm on other things because I see all of your Facebook feeds. 
I know how you feel about the election, and I know how you feel about COVID, and I know how you feel about those, those issues that are strong on your hearts that you'll post and argue with people. I've watched you. I read. A lot of you are going, like, I'm setting my thing to private now, so he can't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't want to be held accountable like that. That wasn't fun. I see it, guys. And I'm sad to say this. We've been locked down in nine months, and I've seen more of you post about elections and COVID than Jesus. How are you going to win people for Christ that way? Just asking. And don't tell me you're not convicted because the things you're convicted about, you'll take flack for. Right? If you're convicted about the election, you'll take flack for it. I see the arguments on your thread. You're convicted about certain stances, boom, arguments on your thread, they're not changing your mind. You know why? Because you're going to persevere because you're convicted about it. Why aren't we about Jesus that way? Afraid of the fight? Afraid of turning people away from Christ? That's his lamest excuse ever. Can I tell you something? If you take nothing else away from this, to give you a little bit of boldness, if they're away from Jesus, they can't be further away from Jesus. You guys understand what I'm saying? But they might shut their ears. If they're not following Christ, if they're not doing the things that Jesus wants them to do, if they haven't given ear to Christ, what are you going to do to drive them away? They're already away. Do you guys understand that? And you will never win them to Jesus by not saying anything or just saying, I don't want that fight to be that way. You'll never, the only thing you're preventing is the opportunity for them to actually come to Jesus. That's all you're doing. By shutting your mouth, by silencing your testimony, by not being convicted yourself in and of the scriptures that testify to who Jesus is, you're not ready for the fight that God wants you to have to change the world for Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That is your commission. That is my commission. Of course the world doesn't want to hear it, but... There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Do you believe that enough to get into a fight over it and realize that's God's will for that fight? Because you're being a testimony for Jesus. And if they're offended, they were going to be offended already, whether you said it or somebody else said it. The only thing you can offer them is the opportunity to accept. If they reject, they rejected before you got there, and they've rejected after you left. And this is what the disciples did, whether Paul or Peter or James. They went to places, they were rejected, but some believed. And for all who had believed, he gave them the ability to become children of God. Children not born from a human father or a person's will, but born of God. 
Isn't that what we want? Parents for your wayward children? Children for your parents that you're, you just would know Jesus? In your friend group? Your workmates? Your neighbors? Do we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? That no man comes to the Father except through him? Do you and I understand we hold life in our hands in the message that we get? And those of you who are online, the same to you. This nine months, it doesn't matter whether you're home or not. You have the ability to reach out for Jesus to others around you. This is not a time to be silent about that. This is a time for you and I to share the hope of Jesus Christ, the only one who defeated sin and death, the only one that can offer hope to this world. Woe to you and me to call ourselves Christians and to keep ourselves silent because somebody might be offended about the way we share. I want to see this place filled with believers in Christ. It's only going to happen when God's people know the Word of God, are confident in the Word of God, can reason together with other people, are not afraid of the fight. Don't apologize for witnessing to the goodness of Christ, even if it offends those whom we're sharing it with, because we have to be convicted in our minds and our hearts that Jesus is the way. And that this great commission is all of ours. It's not mine. It's not Mark's. It's yours. Because you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Woe to you and me. Seriously. If we have the words of life for our friends, our co-workers, our family, our neighbors. And we stay quiet because we're afraid of the fight. The one thing we, re- we prevent them from having by walking away from the fight is an opportunity for them to accept Jesus. I want the floodgates to open, but it's only going to happen when you and I are have, willing to have that fight over and over again. Over and over again. And God will provide that opportunity. That's what he did with Paul. That's what he'll do with you and me. His timing, his openings. Some of you may work your entire time, have lots of fights and very little success because we're not the purveyors of that. God is. Some of you are going to fight and God is going to give you success and that's a praise to God. But all of us should be in the fight. Close your eyes, bow your heads for just a moment. Nobody looking, please. Be honest. How many of you are afraid of the fight? I'm going to pray for you right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed. God, every one of us, Lord, myself included, Lord, we're afraid of the fight. We are. I'm just going to be honest with you. It is so not the 21st century tolerant society that we're called to be, Lord. 
you're calling us to boldly proclaim Jesus to the world around us. And for every person who raised their hand in the sanctuary online, however they're listening, dear Heavenly Father, I pray for courage for the fight, dear Heavenly Father. That's what the disciples prayed when they were threatened. They said, give us courage that we might proclaim your name and proclaim the word of God more boldly. God, I pray that for me. I pray that for the people who are here right now. And put your hands down. Keep your head bowed, please. How many of you know somebody you need to begin to share Christ with? I want to pray for you. God, I pray to Heavenly Father for those who have raised their hands online here in our sanctuary. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will give courage this day to help these people, and myself included, to begin to share Christ boldly with family members, with friends, with neighbors, with acquaintances, with other people, because we have the words of life, we have the hope of Jesus, Lord. Help us, dear Heavenly Father. Give us the courage, the the opportunity for these things to take place. Their heads still bowed. How many of you have been fighting over other things other than Jesus more passionately than you've been fighting for Jesus? And you need to repent so that you can get your priorities straight. I want to pray for you. God, I want to pray to your Heavenly Father for all of us, myself included, Lord. And I don't care what the issue is. I don't care if it's the election. I don't care if it's COVID. I don't care what it is, dear Heavenly Father. But if we've made other issues more important than Jesus, God, all of us who have raised our hands, we repent before you right now. We want to make Jesus front and center. You are in control of all things, dear Heavenly Father, and we want to make and glorify the name of Jesus above everything else. Help us to do that. I pray in the name of Jesus, keep our eyes focused on you. God, we do all of these things that we might glorify the name of Jesus, the name above all names, the giver of life, the giver of eternal life, the one who took away our sins, Lord the one who is the hope of the world that the world right now so desperately needs. Help us to live that way, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We got some work to do, don't we, people? to be the disciples that Jesus has called us to be. Let's go out and boldly proclaim. Let's pray for one another. You know what? When we're in the fight, you know what it makes us do? It makes us pray more. It does, because we don't like the fight. But we start praying for people, right? We start praying for their salvation. We start caring for their souls. I think that's where Jesus wants us to be. So if the fight gets us caring for people more, I think he wants us in the middle of the fight. Go out, live that different life. I know I'm going to try. I really am. The power of the Holy Spirit. That Christ might be glorified. May he be the only one that we're looking at. God bless you guys. Have a great week.